0: Let's open up your Bibles to John chapter 11. As you're making your way there to John chapter 11, the purpose of the gospel of John is found in chapter 20. Pretty fascinating verse here. John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. He says, now Jesus made many other signs in the presence of his disciples which were not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the purpose of this gospel. That's uh, why we are going through it. John records seven miracles in his gospel, and these seven miracles testify to that fact that Jesus is the Son of God and that you would have life in his name by believing upon him. Uh, The first of these seven miracles is in John chapter 2. If you remember that, Jesus turned water into wine. And then in chapter 4, the healing of the official's son. Chapter 5, we read the account of the healing of the person who was disabled at the pool of Bethesda. Bethesda. And then chapter 6, Jesus performs the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. Chapter 6 also, Jesus walks on water. Uh, Then in chapter 9, John records the sixth miracle of a healing of a man born blind. And so we are now on the seventh miracle. here in chapter 10, the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. As John stated in chapter 20, the purpose of all this is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing him, you may have eternal life in his name. And this is what Jesus brings to those who believe upon him, eternal life. And so as we look here, starting in verse 1, Let's check it out. It says, we'll read the first four verses. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who was anointed, who anointed the Lord with oil, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sisters sent him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Boy, is that like cram-packed of questions and thoughts for me at least. But just to begin, John starts out by introducing to us, us to these people um, he says there's basically Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they lived in Bethany, and Bethany, this Bethany, was about two miles outside of Jerusalem, I think a few verses later talks about that, which is where Jesus had a lot of conflict right there in Jerusalem with the elders, and so going around Jerusalem was, 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 a, was risky business. John tells us in verse 2 what we're going to find out in the next chapter, in chapter 12, that... Mary here is the one who anoints Jesus with ointment, uh, and wipes his feet with her hair for his burial. And so, um, you have to keep that in mind that, that those who are familiar with the gospels already, like, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written before John, those who've been familiar would have already known about Mary. Um, but anyways, um, John is telling us that it is Mary and Martha's brother that was ill, and so the sisters write to Jesus, who is beyond the Jordan. If you remember at the end of the last chapter, Jesus had to get out of town because he was going to be—he uh, was—they're trying to kill him again, as he, as happens every time he goes into Jerusalem. And their anticipation in writing is that Jesus would come and heal Lazarus, whom he love so much and so as Jesus is getting this message and his disciples are listening Jesus says in verse 4 this illness does not lead to death it is for the glory of God so that the son of man may be glorified through it packed in this statement is the plan of God in the situation i wish the lord would kind of just give us those individual why are we going to the circumstances we're going through why uh, you know, why is this going on? Why is that going on? But right here for Lazarus. We, we know that Jesus knows exactly what's going on. He says, he says that the purpose for this sickness, his sickness, was not death, but so that through it, God might display his glory. And we're going to see how this can be. We'll unpack that in just a second. But verse five, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so, When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Anybody else tracking with me on that? Seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? Right. If you love someone and they're hurting, what do you? And they're and they're asking for you. What do you do? You drop everything and you go to them. And that's not what happens. Instead, he decides to stay two days longer. Two days longer. This is very important for us to know about the Lord. His love for Lazarus and and Martha, excuse me, I keep going to my New King James Version. Lazarus, if I say Lazarus, that's the same person. Um, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, man, his love for them was sure, as sure it can be. John repeats it twice. John was an eyewitness to it. He knew it. They knew it. That love is secure. And I think this brings up a few great questions, at least for me. Can the Lord still love someone and yet allow them to suffer? I really appreciate the questions you've been sending in, by the way. We're in the process of answering them. If you ever have questions like this, these are the qu- I'm going to email myself, basically, ask at ccfww.org. Just a little plug there. This is a question I have. Can the Lord still love someone and yet allow them to suffer? Or better yet, kind of flip it around, can we trust that the Lord still loves us when he doesn't answer? Those are the questions I had when I was looking at this. But to help us answer this, we have to have God's perspective on this. It's really important. We have to know the nature of God. We have to know what Jesus is all about. What is his primary function and purpose? What is he doing? Jesus is consumed with the glory of his Father. He's consumed with the glory of God. That's what is motivating. That's what's moving him. That is why everything that he's doing, he's doing in unison with the Lord, with the Father. Jesus was seeking above all else the glory of the Father in all circumstances. And in order for the glory of God to be displayed, Jesus, although He loved them, he delayed. See, there was a bigger purpose at hand. There was a bigger reason when God delayed in this circumstance. That helps me. That because God doesn't answer Matt when Matt says, hey, why aren't you doing this right now, does not mean that God does not love Matt. It means that God's got a plan to glorify himself. And I will become pretty miserable. If my expectations of the Lord are such to where if he doesn't answer me, then he doesn't love me. That's not true. He totally, absolutely does love you in the Lord. But look at this. He delayed. On purpose. Notice those two statements aren't a contradiction. It might be very well tied up that in order to display his love for them, that he delayed, so that they would see the glory of God. In other words, it was more loving for them to go through the suffering so they could see what God was going to do on his behalf than if he had shown up. And you'll see that kind of a sub-theme through here, but I'm not gonna hit on that too much. But this must have been difficult for them, don't you think? Knowing that the Lord loved them, knowing that the message was sent, and yet Jesus delays on purpose as Lazarus suffers. Mary and Martha were waiting For the Lord in very difficult circumstances, and the Lord chose to delay because God had a plan to glorify His Son through this. And that is what it is all about the glory of God. Jesus cried out, even when He was facing terrible circumstances, Not my will, but Thy will be done. Right? Three times. And so Jesus waits two days on the other side of the Jordan River quite a ways away there. Verse seven. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go again to Judea. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you are going there again. Again, Bethany's right next to Jerusalem. The disciples were with Jesus every single time he was in Jerusalem. And guess what happened every single time? There was some kind of ruckus. Something was going on. They wanted to kill him. He had to escape through their midst. It's just over and over. And so they were saying, we just escaped with our lives at Hanukkah and you want us to go back, you know, (laughs) pretty harrowing Hanukkah experience. And Jesus answered in verse nine, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. The Jews divided their days into 12 hours. Uh, give, you know, They're just saying, hey, 12 hours for the day, 12 hours for the night. We understand that things vary d- depending on season, but that's how they divided it up. And Jesus uses this picture of day to describe what it was like for him being in the world and the disciples being with him. It illuminates. Any of you, uh, you know, try to walk around at night especially if you get older. I was talking about this with the guys yesterday. You, know, you just can't quite see as well and you're pretty unsure of things and it's like you need a lot of light in order not to stumble around. Um, speaking from experience there, but uh, if, and that's what Jesus is saying, listen, I'm the light of the world. I'm with you. You're gonna be okay. You're not going to stumble. Come with me. But there will be a time of darkness where you will be persecuted. All these things will happen. Um, And so Jesus is saying, I've got you, you're going to be okay, let's let's go to Judea. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. And now Jesus has spoken of death. That's what he was doing, Jesus had spoken of his death. But they thought he meant taking rest and sleep, as they often did, because Jesus spoke in these riddles all the time. So Jesus was using this word sleep as a euphemism for death as happens in the Old and the New Testament. This is a picture of death. Now to be clear, what Jesus is not saying is that Lazarus' soul is asleep although his body is died. That is not what Jesus is saying. He's using a figure of speech. We have to know that. Otherwise we get into a false doctrine known as soul sleep. That's the doctrine where it says that basically if you die, your body goes on the ground, but your soul goes to sleep until God investigates whether or not you're deserving of the resurrection. That's what the Seventh-day Adventist Church holds to. It is false and it is wrong. When a believer dies, they go directly before the Lord. They go directly before the Lord. That is the clear teaching of scripture. Jesus spoke to the thief on the cross and said to him, truly, which means you better take this to the bank. I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise, a phrase for eternity, heaven. That's Luke uh, 23, 43. He said, truly, truly, today you will be with me in paradise. Not you will sleep and I will investigate whether or not you are worthy of the resurrection. Resurrection, we'll talk about it at a later time. That's not what he said. He said, today you'll be with me. The doctrine of soul sleep is not right. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.8 that we would rather be away from the body and be home with the Lord. In order to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It is appointed point of man wants to die and then the judgment. I and mean, just over and over and over, we have these examples. In other words, falling asleep is a figure of speech. But, and I only say that because there's the influence of that doctrine in our, in our community. The disciples weren't even thinking soul sleep. They were thinking regular sleep. That's how theological they were. Um, the disciples thought that Lazarus was getting some rest and would recover, right? So that's, that's their issue. Let's move it back to reality here. So Jesus had to clarify that Lazarus has not physically fallen asleep. He wasn't taking a nap and recovering. Verse 14, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may, what? Believe. But let us go to him really quickly. How many of you picked up on verse 4 and verse 14 contradicting one another? Verse 4 says that, hey, this is not going to lead to death. And verse 14 says what? Hey, Lazarus died. What's going on there, Jesus? Remember that. This illness does not lead to death. And yet you can see, as you can probably pick up, Jesus didn't mean that Lazarus would not physically die. Jesus meant that this, this illness was not the final destination. That's not where it's leading to. It's not leading to death. Death isn't the final illness, Ill, uh, destination. The illness would lead to God's glory being revealed in the Son. That's what Jesus was saying. And Jesus knew this all along. Look at what he said. Jesus knew that Lazarus would die. Jesus knew that he died when no one told him. He said, Lazarus is dead. I mean, it's not like he got a, got a text, you know? He knew these things. He knew it and he saw it. And he also knew that he was gonna wake him in verse 11, right? He says, We're gonna, I'm gonna go to wake him now. He knew the plan. He knew the plan all along. And so Jesus says, let's go to him. And you have to love Thomas in verse 16. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. We're going to Jerusalem. This is probably not going to be good. (laughs) These guys were fully expecting to get hammered, right? To possibly die. Great intentions, but what we find out in a very short time, as we move into the next chapter, we're right on Passover, the week of Passover, which is the week of Jesus' death. The rest of John deals with the last week of Jesus' life. What happens to the disciples with all those great intentions? They scatter. But the good shepherd brings them back, right? Love that. And so, verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So these mourners had come up from Jerusalem. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. That's a whole other message. Mar- Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you, have had, if, if you had, me, had been here, my brother would not have died. And so there's these Jewish mourners who come to console them. We're going to learn a little bit about them, but Jesus is still outside the city. Then Martha comes, and you can see there in verse 21, can't you? Just just her heartbreak. She's just brokenhearted over her brother, and. You know, her hope was in writing that letter that Jesus would intercede, that Jesus would do something about it, that Jesus would come, that he would heal, you know, if he, he loved you, you know, and you can just see she's not rebuking him. She just was she's just brokenhearted over the situation. Don't you see that there? Man, if you'd been here, you could have done something about this. My brother wouldn't have died. But look at that, even in the midst of her pain, in the midst of totally being brokenhearted, that God didn't answer in the way that she thought what happened in verse 22 but even now i know that whatever you ask from god god will give you even after the death of her brother even when god didn't answer in the way she still believed she still believed she knew that god that he was still the messiah now i don't think she's going she's expecting him to raise him from the dead as we go move forward in this you're going to see that that's not what she's thinking like, I, I know that you can still get this guy out. That's not what's going on. I think she's totally oblivious to that. But I do think she's expressing her faith in the Lord still. And I think many of you have experienced that in your lives. You know, you've prayed for someone and they passed away. You wanted something to happen and, and God did not intervene. God didn't change the circumstances and yet you sit there like Martha and you say, you know what, Lord? I still trust you. I still know you've got everything in your hands. Here I am. I think it's the same here for Martha. Verse 23. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I think it's kind of what we say when someone's lost. You know, hey, it's gonna be awesome on that day. But that's not what Jesus meant. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection in the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Martha believed that God would raise the dead at the resurrection. She she knew the teachings of the rabbi. She knew the right theology. She knew there would be a day when God would raise the righteous. She knew that. She's like, yeah, I know. I know that that day is out there and that's gonna happen. I'll see him again. It's gonna be good. And here, what happens? Jesus declares what? I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus clarifies what that means in the following verses. And he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus says that he has the power to resurrect, to give life to the one who believes in him. And then not only physical life, but look, verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So there's a different type of life that Jesus is talking about. You know, we walk around thinking that um, life is breathing in and out, and then... You die, and then the world has tons of philosophies about what happens, right? And Jesus says, I've come to give you real life, eternal life. And when you have my eternal life, when I give it to you, I have the power to give you life right now. It will never end. In Christ, that, what an incredible, in other words, it, it overpowers death, everything. Does it mean you won't die? No, he just said, even though you die. You will live. But the, the, the true life he's talking about is spiritual life. I will give you my life. I am the one who gives life to the dead. The spiritually dead is what he's getting at. And Jesus asked Mary, Do you believe this? And this is the question for us today, hearing these words Do you believe Jesus about you? that by believing upon him his death and resurrection that he gives you his eternal life that he will give you eternal life and though though you may keel out that you may get some disease you may deteriorate you may go the way of Lazarus like we all do there's like a pretty good percentage that's going to happen that what you will rise again. Why? Because he is the resurrection and the life. He is the one who holds life in his hand. He has the authority from the Father to give eternal life. And as Jesus said, I give him eternal life and no one takes him out of my hands. Do you believe, Martha? Sorry, I got that bad backwards with Mary. Do you believe, Verse 27, what does she say? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. I believe you are all of that. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the Lord, I'm sorry, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And now when Jesus had, had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him, When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was, and she saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Beautiful characteristic of Mary, by the way. Always at the feet of Jesus. And here she is in her grief at the feet of Jesus, crying out to him the same heart cry that her sister had, Lord, if you'd been here, you know, he wouldn't have have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The Greek here describes a word that isn't... um, isn't surrounded around compassion. You know, we think this, that he's, he's like going, oh man, he's just caught up in the moment and he's swept away. But the Greek, every single time this word is translated three other times, it always has to do with he's disturbed. He's, he's troubled in his spirit. And so it could be that he's upset, and I'm kind of extrapolating this because as you go forward, the way John's writing, if you notice all the way through John, he keeps writing about the crowd and how it's divided. Do you see that? The mourners are divided and they are the Jews and it just keeps popping into every single circumstance and so it could be, and this is what I think, I think he's just deeply moved because of the love but he's also deeply disturbed because of the unbelief that is influencing Mary and Martha in the room. That's my personal take on this. Look, look at kind of how this plays out. Verse 34, and he said, where have you laid him? So he's disturbed in his spirit. He, he sees her weeping. He was disturbed in his spirit. He says, where have you laid him? And they said, come, Lord, and see. And Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him, which is true. But check out verse 37. But some of them said, Could not he open the eyes of the blind man that have kept this man from dying? See the influence there? So there's some kind of thing going on there and I can't quite get to it and I think just read it like it is. I think his good person he loved died and there's people there are disingenuous and there's people there that he loves. I think he's disturbed. Verse 38. And then Jesus deeply moved again. (laughs) came to the tomb. Over and over, right? And it was a cave and the stone lay against it and Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been there dead for four days. I don't think they have a clue what Jesus is about to do. I think they're going, he wants to visit him one last time and say goodbye and Martha's like, this is not a good idea. Um, my brother stinketh. Um, Verse 40, and Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? They have no clue what Jesus is doing, and Jesus is now cluing them in. Did I not tell you? You see, everybody was oblivious to what this was all about. Why is he waiting why is he delaying? Why didn't he do it? Why, what's wrong with the timing? And I feel like that's where we all are. The Lord has a plan and he's revealing it and we're all wondering questions and all these, these things, you know, between the now and the then. But there'll be a day when, when we see God reveal his glorious plan and it, it's just gonna click and make sense for us. And the worship that will pour out of us um, this is going to be sweet, but I hope the worship pours out now in trusting him. But Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus said to Martha, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall he live, and everyone who lives in me shall never die. Martha believed in the resurrection, but she... Didn't have a really great understanding of it. I think she believed, yeah, it's a date in the future, this thing's going to happen. And then Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Do you believe me? And she goes, Yes, I believe you. And now he's going to show her that he is the resurrection. He's going to show her that he does have the power over death. He is the resurrection. And here in verse 41, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they might believe you sent me. Jesus makes it clear that everything that is happening is according to the Father's will We're in unison, but it's not for his benefit that he's talking out loud. It's for everybody else so they know what is about to happen is totally going to be an act of God. To glorify his son. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. What would that have been like? Can you imagine that? I mean, we're all hanging around a a grave thing right now, right? And there's a big old rock and Jesus, this guy comes up and says, hey, roll that away. And you're like, it's going to stink. And Jesus says, I told you, if you'd believe in me, you're going to see the glory of God. Roll away the stone. I think everybody's just tripping out, going, what is going to go on here? And then he opened it and he screams in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I mean, what do you do? And the man who had died came out. And his hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face was wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is what Jesus does. Totally And I'm doing an analogy right now, okay? We're totally dead in sin in our tombs, according to God, when he looks at us. And Jesus walks in, and he calls you by name, and he says, come out. And what happens? You come out. He gives us life. I don't understand how it all works, but this is a beautiful picture. And then the grave clothes have to get taken off. (laughs) You know what I mean? Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. John said that these signs were recorded so that you might believe. Church, this is an actual thing that happened in history, this is real. And the world is working overtime to tell you that it's all false. And it's not. It's undeniable. John, later in chapter 21, not just chapter but 21, he says, listen, I can't write all the things that had happened. I suppose there weren't there wouldn't be enough books in all the world to write all the things I wanted to write to you about. But I just wrote about these seven, and I spent the last half talking to you about the last week of his life so that you would know, so that you would believe. And, The Holy Spirit is here, is convincing us that we're dead men walking. And He gives us, He shines His light into the darkness, and He calls us out to Him. And we find out that Jesus died for our sin, our rebellion against God. He paid the price, all of it, on the cross, satisfying the wrath of God. And through faith in Him, we go free, we're justified. And then he resurrects us, gives us new life in him. And now we begin to walk just like Jesus walked. And that life does not stop. It goes on into eternity. The body fails. The outward man is perishing, but the inward man is renewed day by day. And one day at the resurrection, Jesus will give us a body fitting with our spirit, one that doesn't drag us around like we're dragging around death, but one that fits the new spirit. Praise the Lord for the hope. And again, where does all this come from? It's him. Jesus is the resurrection. Unbind him and let him go. Do you believe? You know? This is the gospel we preach. This is the good news we preach to the world. We are not those who have not been in a grave. We don't pretend like we weren't in a grave. Amen? We just know the Savior who called us out, and we point people to Him. And I think we definitely have some grave clothes on us that we help each other wrap off, right? Unbind Him. The sanctification process, so to speak, as the Lord works through the body, and His word to make us more like Christ every day, grow us up. There's that great hope. Do you believe? But verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, they what? They believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Oh, man. So that's not good. But that's what we have here. We have the response to Jesus. Belief and unbelief. And it's up to you today. The sheep and the goats. Those who believe and those who do not. Those who respond and are given eternal life and those who reject despite the evidence. Verse 47, so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered around the council and said, what are we to do? Good question. Guy raises someone from the dead, what are we gonna do? It's a good elder meeting topic. For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come, and here's their motive, and will take away both our place, our standing, and our nation. What are they concerned with? You figure the correct response would be, yeah, I've been reading my Bible and everything this guy does matches up with the Messiah, so let's just worship him, right? Right? But no, their concern was their power would be taken away. Their concern was that people would be turning to believe in, them, in, in Jesus instead of them. And that's really how you determine a true and a false apostle. Is that true teachers of the, of the word, true, true uh, prophets, so to speak, um, are ones who lead people to Jesus, not to them. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's about him. These guys were about drawing people to him. And so their concern was about their power. It was concern about the Romans coming and getting upset and taking away the little authority they did have by force. Verse 40, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you you know nothing at all. This is a great way to make friends in a big meeting but he was the high priest. You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for these people, not that the whole nation should perish. It's better that one man die for these people than the whole nation perish, is what he was saying. And here's the interesting thing. We get a little narrative here, verse 51. He did not say this of his own accord. But being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not only the nation, but also to gather into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Man, this is very fascinating. You see, man's plans cannot thwart God's plan. This guy's like, we are going to take out Jesus. And God said, that's the means in which I will redeem this people. In his thinking, in Caiaphas' thinking, he was justif- justifying trying to kill Jesus before things got out of control because if people believed that he was the Messiah, if Jesus was the Messiah, they would expect the Messiah to set up the kingdom. That's what the Jews were thinking. That's what the disciples thought. They're going to come into Jerusalem. They're going to set it up. And this thing is going to get out of control because the Romans are not going to have it. They're going to crush whoever tries to set up a rebellion. It was just within the Jews. We're waiting for a Messiah. The Messiah is going to overthrow whoever's around. We're going to have a new kingdom. Romans aren't going to have it. And Caiaphas knew that that the Romans would come in and do that to both the Jews who lived there and any Jew over the planet. They would just go crush them. That's how they ruled. And they would lose their power. And so he was convinced the only way to stop all this was to kill Jesus. But he didn't realize that as high priest, he was actually prophesying what Jesus came to do, to die for those who would believe upon him, not only the Jews, but those who were scattered abroad, to the Gentiles as well, gathering the children of God into one. You see, they miss the fact that the Old Testament points first to the Messiah suffering and dying on behalf of of his people to save them for their sins. And the second, the kingdom, the ruling, comes at the second coming. But this first time, the Messiah came to pay the price for sin, to save those who are in the bondage of sin and to give eternal life. So quite a standing prophecy. So the very plan that that high priest devised to take out Jesus, Which he would do shortly, by the way. We're just a very short time away in John. Is the very plan that God had to redeem his people from sin. Verse 54. So Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with his disciples. So Jesus moves 13 miles northeast. And we'll pick up in verse 55 and move into chapter 12 next week, which is right at the Passover, where Mary, after having watched Jesus resurrect her brother and realizing just her great sinfulness before the Lord and just the worship she had, she pours out her worship in tears and in valuable ointment and Washes the feet of Jesus with her hair, preparing him for his burial seven days later. Beautiful. So let's do that next week. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for your word. It is so rich, so full. gives us such hope as we look to your son for our great salvation. Lord, we're in a time of darkness now. And I think of Luke 18 where this widow is being treated horribly and there's this judge who will not answer and yet she keeps pestering him and he finally answers. And at the end, Jesus is painting the picture of the person who persists in prayer and trusts until the end. Father, your son said when I return, will I find such faith on the, in the earth? Lord, may we be those who persevere, who continue to seek, even though you might not answer right away. And you are not an unjust judge. You are loving and kind, and you love us with the love that was demonstrated in sending your only Son to redeem us. And if you did that, what about the grace to come? So amazing. Thank you so much. So we marvel at the cross. We marvel at the empty tomb. We marvel at the work you've done. Thank you for calling us out of the grave and into eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And I pray anyone hearing the voice of the Lord this morning through his word that you would respond to the Lord by coming out of your grave, by responding and saying yes. I'm dead, make me alive. I believe you are the son of God. So Lord, do your work this morning. And as we wait for your return, may we be purified, may we be holy, may we be set apart, unstained by the world. A glorious, beautiful bride awaiting her bridegroom. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.